Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. So I hope you read the piece I mentioned in the long reads on Friday called Outgrowing Advertising by Andreessen Horowitz's general partner, Connie Chan. Link in the show notes, of course. Well, today we're going to talk to Connie about that piece. Again, I think this points a way forward for the one-trick ponyism that I've bemoaned on this podcast many times, a model for new startups now that the low-hanging fruit of let's just get to a billion users and throw some ads up is kind of sort of done. My thanks to Connie Chan for taking the time to have this great conversation. Um, So forgive me for a sort of long preamble up front here, but um, it's always kind of jarring to be reminded how much even the biggest internet-based consumer tech companies are essentially one-trick ponies. Like in your piece, like you have the stats, Facebook, Twitter, Snap, they're between 84 and 99% of their revenue is ad-based, right? You know, you can even add Google into that mix. Um, but we're generally talking about entertainment apps today. Then the other popular model is subscriptions, but that's still a one-trick pony. Like Netflix, 100% of its revenue is subscription. Spotify plays both sides of the fence a bit. Uh, I bet Hulu is a, even a little more balanced um, between the two. But the chart in this piece that gobsmacked me and made me want to talk to you is the one that shows that Tencent's uh, revenue distribution, its biggest Tencent's biggest source of revenue is gaming at 36%, then subscriptions mm-hmm. at 23%, then payments. I know I, I'm going on and on. But there, <laughs> I'm getting to a point. <laughs> Um, the smallest piece of the pie is advertising, but that's a balanced right. pie. And so in this piece, you're suggesting, A, that that sort of a balanced pie is how consumer internet business works today in China. And then sort of implicitly, yeah. B, that this is a possible way of the future everywhere. Um, or at least maybe this is a model that if you're someone entering the space, you might want to start thinking about as opposed to just the old playbook of, get a billion users, throw up some ads, or get 500, subs- 550 million subscribers. Like, that's not a diversified enough business plan for the future, I think, is what the point of this piece is. So, preamble... Right. It's, it's not just that it's not diversified. I'd say, you know, it's hard to go up against a Facebook or a Google for someone's ad budget because mm-hmm. their ad machines are so robust. Oh, there's also that point, which I hadn't even thought of. All right. Preamble is over. So, let's start okay. then. Let's start with why is the Chinese market different uh why didn't chinese companies just throw up ads as their first default uh, strategy well to be fair some of them did use a lot of advertising to start with but many of them have experimented well beyond ads and i think the crux of it is china is much more mobile first and i'd argue almost mobile only and a lot of the advertising typical display ads or even search click ads, they just don't work as well on mobile in terms of how the user feels, right? It's When it takes up the entire screen, it's very different than a display ad that's taking up, say, a quarter of your screen. 
And so I think the Chinese companies have become a lot more thoughtful on all these other experiments on how to monetize. That's definitely one. The second piece is, quite honestly, they have a whole different payment ecosystem that allows for these microtransactions, which are really taking off. Well, and and you make the point in the piece, because I I think we're going to have to talk about this idea of like um, what consumers are accustomed to. Like you make the point that others have made in in other uh, markets that Chinese consumers skipped the PC and the credit card. And so it's almost like this is the Internet that they know that 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 payments and, and all of this universe of other things. It's a different Internet than like what we were uh, a culture to in in North America. Yes. And I would argue that a lot of the companies in China will be very experimental in monetization and they'll try it, see if it works. And if not, they'll take it down. But because they're willing to go out there and explore and try new revenue models versus taking that same kind of one trick pony and pushing harder on it, it just basically allows for more experimentation. Right. So it's like necessity being the mother of invention, essentially. Um, like, and, and then uh, one more thing uh, to lay the groundwork, like you point out that like this might also like that sort of experimentation, like not having a default thing, like just throw up ads as a, as a fallback model. It probably leads to a better product for the consumer as well. Yes. Go ahead. Yes, for sure. I think in many cases it leads to a better user experience because one, rather than pay for a subscription, you know, imagine just going to a restaurant and having to buy a buffet every single time rather than being able to order off menu a la carte. And I think that's the difference between a lot of the products in China versus a lot of the subscription models, as you pointed out in the States. You know, and also if you think about the user experience, not just of having that choice of what to pay for around content, but I also have other examples I can talk to around how payments can actually facilitate better interaction with creators and also be used as a mechanism for self-expression. Well, so if I have to think about like what new monetization models look like, rather than just point at the tactics, I would say it's, it's really actually exploring more ideas on self-expression, giving people better ways to access exclusive content, and three, finding them the right interaction mechanisms with content creators. Well, let's go ahead and, and go into some of those examples. So if, if you if you have some at the top of mind, like some of the, the more creative and, and interesting ways to do that, um, let's start there. Sure, sure. Okay, so, I mean, self-expression as, as a very simple example. A lot of the apps in China, you can pay to skin the app with your favorite artist, favorite celebrity, or favorite theme. And that means all the buttons look different. It's like you're downloading a theme onto your app. Or you can pay money and change the avatar. Or there's even options where, I mean, imagine using YouTube or Twitter, but you pay money so that all your comments show up in red, bold font. So they stand out. So that sounds like that sounds like what we're used to in, in gaming. Almost like having but skins you, and avatars and things like that. But you see it applied to all kinds of social mm. networks. This mm-hmm. whole idea of being able to self-express and make my profile stand out whether it's through an image or having my content look differently, that that's very common across a lot of these things. Um, a, 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 I think a good model to look at this, and this is the one that you started with in the piece, is books. And uh, like, I want to 
uh, poke at the idea that it's not just the straight transactional model. So, so there could be a third model. You know, Amazon is 80% transactions, right? Um, but even when there are transactions, and we'll, we'll, I'm using the books as a lens, like there's all sorts of more creative sort of teasers and different ways to make that transaction happen um, in China. Yes, I think that the, the books example, when we started selling digital books online in the West, we kind of took the same model, which is you buy the entire book at once, and we just slapped it on the internet. But in Asia, it's almost as if this product was built for the internet. And therefore, you can read portions and preview the book well before you have to pay for the rest of it. You can't do that in real life in a physical book, right? Or you can charge by the chapter or by X thousand characters. And it just allows different ways for that creator to get their content out there and also to monetize. It's built for the internet as opposed to taking a model that used to work in the offline world and just putting the distribution piece online. I think what we've done in many cases, whether it's news, music, movies, books, is we've taken a lot of the offline models and we made the distribution piece online, but we haven't pushed ourselves to be more creative on the monetization, or even on the ways the, that we charge. Or even on the product level, because what you're describing is, again, this is a product that is designed uh, for mobile first. Yes. Exactly. Um, as uh, obviously as a podcaster, um, I, I had heard this stat before that that in China, podcasting is really a, a much more massive business than it is in in the uh, in the West or at least in the United States. Um, but I didn't realize that it's essentially a lot of it is sort of like that massive open online courses model. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is knowledge based learning, not just entertainment. That's correct. But mostly subscription-based uh, with, with ads mixed into a lesser degree. Uh, not necessarily subscription. You're able to buy packages of mm. content. So maybe you might have a series on how to buy your house or how to improve your voice. And you're able to buy a package of, say, 5, 10, 15 podcasts at once. And it allows the creator to have more incentive to create really advanced, deep dives into various pieces, as opposed to having to focus on general mass appeal content, which is typically what you have to do when you're advertising based. Right. You're now able to cater to smaller niche audiences that are very willing to pay for that content. Well, and that's also sort of, uh, I loved the, all the details. I knew nothing about this, about the music, uh, like Tencent music, and how its model differs from Spotify. And it is all about like almost gamification and um, offering ways to prove you're a bigger fan than other fans. But then also it's a lot of, I think you said, what is it? Uh, 70% of Tencent Music's revenue comes from live streaming services. So describe, describe to me how that model is different than the Spotify model. Yeah, so that goes back to that third kind of bucket, I would say, of monetization, which is interaction and facilitating interaction with creators. So what those tips are is for Tencent Music, there's various ways that you can tip creators. One, if if you use their karaoke app and say you're a singer and someone listens to you and they love your voice, they can send you these digital stickers, which you then redeem for cash. And then Tencent Music takes a portion of that. Or 
Say you love listening to music and you have lots of thoughts on lyrics or you just have a great voice for radio. You can actually create your own online radio show and people who listen to your show and listen to the music that you curate and your commentary on it also send you tips. And you, as that online radio broadcaster, can cash out a portion of that for real money. So what it does is it gives us an incentive for everyday people to become content creators, to also encourage viewers or listeners to pay, and the platform takes a portion of that. But right. this, whole, this whole idea of interaction, tips and stickers, I mean, we're starting to see that in the U.S., and that's what excites me, right? You see that already happening on Twitch. Uh, we, we, it was announced just a few weeks ago that Himalaya, the podcast app, is going to start incorporating more tipping as well. I think other big companies such as YouTube and now even Reddit, they're experimenting with this idea of tipping. Right. I, I wonder, it's almost, it, it has the, that's one of the key things that's been holding back this sort of adoption of this sort of thing is that, you know, we've heard this for years that, that microtransactions have been a problem uh, here in the West. And um, so maybe it's it's almost a techni technical barrier coming down that maybe it will make this more viable? Not so much, though. I mean, I hear that many times. It's because, oh, the, the credit card fee is too high. But in reality, for a lot of the Chinese platforms, you'll buy for, say, $10 or, or $20 a bucket of tokens that you can then use to buy these stickers or buy these gifts to send to people. It's not necessarily an individual transaction every single time. So to me, it's not just a tech barrier. It's a function of the platforms needing to be bold enough to, to test it. And also it's a function of having consumers feel like they want to contribute and give to these creators. I believe that is the case though. When you look at the success of these third-party platforms that allow creators to monetize their fan base through monthly, monthly payments, you can see that that desire to pay creators is there. We just have to, as platforms, facilitate that in so, a more seamless way. Like almost integrate um, as a part of your subscription to whatever platform, the understanding that you can give a portion of that to the creators as a part of your overall subscription, maybe? Yeah. I mean, I, I think something like that definitely should be tried. I mean, if you look at, you know, and I, and I didn't get, put this in my, in my blog post, but if you look at another company, Sina Weibo, which is often called the Twitter equivalent of China, you know, people say that paid content on their product will likely be 10% of the revenue. And that's going to be mostly just users wanting to pay to get access to exclusive chats or live streams or Q&A. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop 
in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash techmeme. All right. Um, forgive me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back just a little bit. Um, all right. You know, Facebook has been trying to diversify. Every, everyone should probably get to this more balanced pie revenue model, right? Facebook's been trying to make payments happen for forever. Um, even uh, subscriptions for things like Facebook groups, I think they've been rolling that out recently. You know, um, Snapchat is trying to do, you know, click from a video to be able to buy the, uh, the, the piece of clothing or whatever. As of now, none of that, at least again, in North America or the West has gotten very much traction. And I wonder almost, again, it's like I, we talked about at the beginning, is it sort of like this is what consumers have been used to so that if, if the Chinese consumer was a blank slate coming to the Internet for the first time, I'm not saying that consumer behavior can't change and expectations can't change, but I wonder if the problem is is that North American consumers have been led to expect a certain kind of experience and maybe it's going to take some time to change that. I do agree with you that it will take time, but I also think it can work. And if you look at the success of Twitch, you can already see that people value tipping the people that they're watching. And I think what the platforms have to do is give greater tools for the creators to create exclusive premium content or reasons for that person to pay. The issue right now is a lot of the folks who are creating this premium content, you can find something close enough or similar that's already free, that's out there. And so until there's a platform that really allows for that kind of packaging of maybe not just Q&A, maybe it has to be Q&A plus exclusive chat, plus live stream, plus maybe a PDF book or plus something else that will give users enough to say, yes, I'm willing to pay for this. Uh, final two questions, uh, sort of around that, uh, to the, to the extent that you're willing to speculate, like which of the big players is maybe best positioned to diversify in this way to this sort of balanced pie? Like at the top of my head, I'm thinking Amazon, who's obviously moving into uh -huh. advertising and things like that, but who would you say is, is best positioned of, of the big players to, to kind of achieve this? Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I actually do think Amazon is one of the best options to go into advertising. 
I mean, if you think about how advertising has worked to date, it's always been around targeting a person that looks like X, Y, and Z. But Amazon actually knows what you purchase. So imagine if you're a Coke and you want to purchase ads against people who bought Pepsi. Amazon can facilitate that very easily. And so you read the news this week that Walmart's trying to get into advertising more. I think a lot of the transaction companies are well situated to diversify away from just straight transactions. And if you look at Amazon, all the things they've done with video, I think they are probably the furthest ahead. The other one that I would say um, has the has the content to, and the community to do it. I, I don't know if they're really going to go after this route, but I'd say Twitter actually has many mm. options to to monetize. If you think about how many influencers already are using it to to manage their followers, right? And this yeah. is again where for Twitter, I look a lot at their their China equivalent, and I see the things that they charge for. And it's not just the the exclusive chats and such. They also have VIP membership options where you can decorate your avatar. But get this, you can pay for a VIP membership to follow people anonymously. Mm. And that's something that if you think about for Twitter, Twitter doesn't allow that, right? But would you pay a small amount each month if you could follow people anonymously, also decorate your avatar, also X, Y, and Z? Oftentimes, these VIP memberships for China, it's not just one thing you get. It's a package of things. And so Western platforms have to figure out what's the right combination to make that package compelling. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I would never have, have even thought of Twitter in this context. But, okay, uh, so the final question would be, aside from the big players, what if I'm an entrepreneur looking to go into this space if, if you were some company starting out here in the U.S. to try to achieve that sort of balanced pie, do we think that there, there are enough tools available to achieve that right now? Or is that still something that uh, people would have to scrabble together from like bits and bobs and, and uh, scotch tape and stuff? I think there are enough tools to, to get it started. I mean, say you are a video platform, you can lead gen for all kinds of e-commerce, but also social, all kinds of, um, sorry, services. So for example, like if you're watching a video on how to fix a door, there should be a link right underneath where I can book a handyman to come to my house. And there should be a link right under that to buy the part at Home Depot, right? So there's a lot of ways that you can facilitate this um, by creating partnerships with third parties. But I think the biggest takeaway for startups is, don't focus on an ad-based model because it's really, really hard. <laughs> if you're expecting that to be 100% of your revenue, I would really encourage startups to think about alternative methods. Yeah, it's almost like um, there, there are avenues closed at this point. So it's almost like we were saying at the beginning, necessity being the mother of invention. You've got to go in this direction if you're going to have a hope of, of success in, in the new era. Right, right. I mean, you know how many page views and uniques it takes to generate ad dollars. And again, the biggest thing is you look at the amazing advertising engine that Facebook and Google have built, and you have to realize it's not just having the traffic. You also have to have the engine that allows advertisers to target people very specifically, right? And that's why I feel like if you are a platform um, that's just banking on traffic, Think about how else you can use that distribution to monetize and try and make it as natural as possible. 
You know, another thing I study is TikTok as an example, which is the big new kid on the block that's really taken consumer mobile by storm in 2018. And if you look at the advertising that they have in their China version, which is called Douyin, a lot of the ads look like other TikTok videos. You can't even tell it's an ad. It actually, it flows very naturally and it's native to that platform. And so when I think about the future of monetization or even what advertising can look like in the U.S., I think it's going to become more native to specific platforms as opposed to things that are jarring and usually unrelated to the context of the content. 